Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you on your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Once again, it is great to have you with us. I am so glad that you've chosen to join us today. If you have any questions, if you're joining us online, don't hesitate to comment in the comment section, and there is somebody there that would like to answer them that will follow up with you, that will connect with you there. But regardless, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being with us and worshiping today. I'm excited about what I've got to share with you from God's Word. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been intrigued by magic tricks? You see, my guess is that almost everyone has been interested in doing magic tricks at one point or another in their lives. Some of us may have tried learning those card tricks, and in fact, my guess is that almost all of us, or maybe even all of us, have known someone at some time that has tested out their magical abilities with a deck of cards on you. I know that as a kid, I had some cheap little magic trick things. Uh, They're the cheap plastic ones. And my parents, when I tried these, they would follow along and and play along. And In all honesty, though, I was never very good at it. I was never an amazing illusionist. Now, have you ever been to see a professional illusionist? They are good at what they do. It's kind of crazy what they can do. They can read minds, and they, they can make things appear and disappear and reappear. And they can break things and then put them back together again. They can do so much stuff. It's crazy. Some even, even lock themselves up in like chains and get thrown into the water and yet somehow magically escape. On at least one occasion, I believe the Statue of Liberty has been made to disappear. And if I'm not mistaken, a pyramid or two in Egypt has also disappeared. Oh yeah, and making people float. That levitation thing. That's another thing. It's just crazy what these illusionists do. Now, recently, I was listening to a podcast, and there was an illusionist named Harris III. He started uh, with a gift as a kid that taught him how to do magic. And by the end of his teenage years, he was traveling all over the world and making a lot of money. In fact, he was a millionaire by the age of 21, but it didn't last. He had actually lost all of it by the time he turned 22. And I believe he's in his mid-30s now. In this podcast, he he talked about a number of things, but one of the the things that I remember is the point that he made about what he had done being a storyteller. He he was telling stories and leading people to a predetermined conclusion. The magic that he was doing was all an illusion, a a story that the illusionist told. Now today I want to ask you a question. What story are you believing? Let's pray, and then we'll get started. God in heaven, I'm thankful that you have given us this time today. I ask that your Holy Spirit would join us, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would teach us, that you would convict us, that you would make us more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We are going to look primarily at two verses today. They're both found in the book of Psalms, and they're in chapter 24. Now, as a context, this was written by King David. And at this point, King David was was king over all of Israel. And and while Israel may not have been the biggest kingdom of its time, David is a well-respected and successful leader. 
It is believed by many that, that this psalm was actually written when he was moving the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem after its brief stay with Obed-Edom. So let's take a look. Let's read what Psalm 24, verses 1 through 2 say. They say this. They say, The earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Now, now David starts this psalm with emphasis and making a statement that the world, that the world and everything in it, all that makes it up, everything that lives in it, it's all the Lord's. He is being clear that as much as he leads Israel and all, all these other leaders lead their kingdoms, their nations, that none of it belongs to them. It all is God's. It all belongs to God. I mentioned the, the belief that this psalm was written when the ark was brought from, from a brief stay with Obed-Edom. Now, if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're not going to go there today, but I'll give you kind of a recap. But if you go there, you'll get the full story. David wanted to bring the ark from where it had been with Obed-Edom to Jerusalem. You see, before that, it had been with Abinadab. The Ark of the Covenant was a sacred representation for the people of Israel. After all, it was a holy object where the tablet that, that held the Ten Commandments was kept. Aaron's staff that he used when he led the children out of e the Israelites out of Egypt, that was kept in there. The manna from when they wandered in the wilderness, that was kept there. But probably even more important than what was in it was what was on it, which was the mercy seat. It was the cover that sat on the ark. And this mercy seat represented where God himself would dwell. You see, after all, this was before Jesus had come and before Jesus had brought this new covenant for, for us as Christians to have access to God the Father through him. You see, at the time of David, the ark represented where God himself, where Jehovah would connect with people on earth. Now, unfortunately, while moving this ark from its original place that it had been with Abinadab, it, it, from moving the ark from its original place to Jerusalem, the donkeys that were carrying it stumbled. And when they stumbled, there was a man named Uzzah who, who reached out to steady the ark so that it wouldn't fall, so that it wouldn't tip over. And that made God extremely angry. And he struck Uzzah dead. And when God ended Uzzah's life, David was mad. He was furious. He was mad but he was also afraid. So David decided not to bring the ark the rest of the way to Jerusalem. Instead, he left it with Obed-Edom. So partway along, he's moving this ark. The, 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 ox, or the, the donkey stumble. Uzzah dies. David says, uh-uh, I'm done. We're leaving it here with Obed-Edom. Now, over the, the next three months, the ark stayed with Obed-Edom, and we are told that the Lord blessed his family. Somebody... Were, not sure who noticed, but somebody noticed that Obed-Edom's family was blessed, extremely blessed over this three-month period. And then they reported it back to King David. King David decides he is going to go get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back then to Jerusalem. He's going to finish what he had started several months prior. But this time, King David had a, a reverence, a respect for what the Ark represented, which he hadn't shown before. He worshipped repeatedly as they brought the ark, he worshipped God in front of everyone that everybody could see that this was where God resided. He wanted to bring honor 
to the ark, and honor, more importantly, to the God of the earth, the God of all. And after all this happened with the ark, King David states, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. When I had first heard or read the story of Uzzah being struck dead, I was confused. Why would God end a person's life for stabilizing the ark? After all, he was simply protecting the sacred object, this, this place that God met with his people. It simply didn't make sense to me. But why did Uzzah have to stabilize the ark? Let me ask you that. Why? I already told you. It was because a donkey stumbled. And that's the answer. The donkey stumbled. I didn't see it at first either, so, so let, me, let me go into it a little bit further. We established earlier that the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat were a really big deal. And as such, God not only had given instruction on how to build it and what to be included with it, but he also had given instruction as to how it should be transported. It was to be carried by certain people. It was not to be carried by donkeys. King David and those responsible for moving the ark made a decision to do things their own way versus God's way. And when their way failed, it caused someone to touch the sacred object, and at that point, that person died. Now, if David had followed God's instructions, this wouldn't have happened. Uzzah's death wasn't the consequence of him protecting a sacred object. No, it was the, the result of disobedience. His death was the result of disobedience when the decision was made to move the ark in a different way from what God had instructed people to move the ark. Like David, we need to respect and follow the Lord's instructions. And when we don't, unfortunately, there's often negative consequences. But please don't misunderstand me. The Bible isn't about a God who is looking for an opportunity to enact revenge. Not at all. And we can see this from the same exact story. Did you catch what happened when David got mad at God and left the ark with the family of Obed-Edom? David noticed it. He noticed that, that God blessed them. Where God was at, where he was there in that representation of that ark, there was a blessing. Now, I'm not sure what happened in those three months, but it was a, enough that people started to take notice. It's even mentioned again in 1 Chronicles 26.5 where we were told that God richly blessed Obed-Edom. It's there, in fact, that we're told Obed-Edom's sons and grandsons were greatly blessed as well. So while not following God's directions can lead to negative consequences, spending time with him can lead to a blessing. Or maybe better said, will lead to blessing. Spending time with God will lead you to being blessed. Now, this isn't me promising that if you spend time with God in prayer, seeking him, following him, and knowing him, that you will be rich. That's not at all what I'm saying. But there are certainly Bible stories, to be clear, and even modern stories of where this has actually been the case, where, where people have become rich, where God has blessed them financially. There are people who have used well what God has provided them, and God has given them even more to oversee and even more to manage. Now, in other cases, it means that, that those people that have followed God closely, that have just really desired to be close in relationship with him, have been blessed with authority or status, or they've been blessed with a family that has followed Jesus, or they've been blessed with a long life. 
or they've been blessed with a life full of amazing experiences, or some combination of all of these things that I remembered, or maybe even something else. I don't know what the blessing specifically will look like for you, but I know that if you are closely following Jesus, if you are living for him, it is not some boring, uneventful, wasted life. Not at all. Now, as King David saw the negative consequences of his disobedience, and then the blessing of those in close proximity to God, it appears to have led to a remembrance of who God is. Let's go back to Psalm 24, 1 through 2. It says this, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. David had a fresh reminder to the reality of who God was and is and who he was and is. David may have been this powerful king. He may have had numerous riches more than you and I. He may have led a powerful military and had a beautiful family, but David was reminded that his ownership of all of that was an illusion. He couldn't do whatever he wanted, how he wanted, and when he wanted. David's world was not his own. It was still God's. And as God had snatched away Uzzah's life in just a moment, as God had, had taken Uzzah's life, he could take everything away from David. And at the same time, as God had greatly blessed Obed-Edom and his family over those three-month uh, period, David might continue to see God's blessings as he continued to draw closer to God. David's kingdom and all that was in it was God's, and David only had them because God had allowed it and had blessed David. Bigger than all that, all the kingdoms of the world, all of the animals, all of the water, all of the land, everything, God was over all of it, and it's all God's. You and I need to realize what David realized. It's this, I am the manager of what I have, God is the actual owner. The idea that I have ownership is an illusion. As I was getting started today, I mentioned an illusionist named Harris III. I shared his explanation of the art of illusion as storytelling. So let me ask you, what story are you telling yourself? When it comes to you having food on the table, what story are you telling yourself? Are you saying something to the effect of, I worked hard to have this job and to earn this money? Or are you saying, thank you, God, for providing food to me and my family through the job that you have given? Are you glad that there is a SNAP program and government assistance that puts food on your table? Or are you thankful that God has provided through SNAP for your family? Or that God has allowed you to be in a country where those resources are made available to you? When it comes to the things that God has given you to manage, are you like the toddler whose favorite word is mine? I don't know if you ever had kids. Mine. It's mine. Anyway, or, or do you realize that it's actually God's and that you are simply managing it? I'm not advocating for a communal life, though, though at times I think living in a close-knit community with friends could be an absolute blast. But I also want to be careful when I say this because it could also appear a little cultish. But with all that said, if we saw our role as managing God's resources, would we all need every tool or everything or could we share what God had given us to save some of the financial resources that God has also given us? Can you imagine if we went in on snowblowers or lawnmowers together? Now, I'm not saying we should, but if we have some financial resources to use in a different way by, by co-owning a couple pieces of yard equipment, 
would that be better management of the resources that God has given us? After all, it's God's mower anyway. Or maybe a more practical thought is one person owning a, a mower and another person owning a snowblower, and they share it. Again, I'm just wanting to challenge your thinking, because after all, it's not yours, it's God's anyway. Now, I'm impressed by people who are willing to loan out vehicles to others. I, I struggle with this a little bit. I start to think of everything that can go wrong when, when someone else is using my vehicle. You hear that? My vehicle. I miss the ownership piece. See, I can actually think of a time when we loaned a, a relatively new low-mileage vehicle to a friend. I wasn't around, but, but Eve had given her the keys. And if I call, call correctly, we were at day, they were at day camp. I wasn't. I was gone. But they were at day camp. And, and this person who we loaned the vehicle to was in an accident. Now, thankfully, they were okay, but the vehicle was not. And our vehicle itself had 15000 in damage. $15,000. Thankfully, there was insurance, but even after getting it fixed, it was never quite right again. But it wasn't my vehicle. It was actually God's. And as, as the people managing it, we were simply helping out someone else who was serving at a local camp. But before you think I'm putting myself on a pedestal by offering this example, let me tell you that others prior to this set this example for me. They allowed me to use vehicles. They allowed me to use their equipment that they were managing for God. In fact, one of these people said something to me at one point, and it really impacted me. It, it was one of these times when someone allowed me to use their trailer. It was actually a new trailer. And I told them I appreciated it, and they made a comment something to this effect. They said, it's not mine, it's God's. I'm just taking care of it for him. That was the story they believed. That was the story they were telling themselves. When they tell themselves that story, or when we tell ourselves a similar story, that it's God's, we don't fall prey to the illusion that it's my car, it's my pickup, it's my trailer. We understand that it's God's, and after all, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now what about the earth itself? What about this earth that we live in? If it's God's, how are we treating what God has given us to use? Growing up, my parents taught me something, and they may, your parents may have taught you something similar. It's that when you borrow something from someone or when you go to someone's house and all use or use something that is somebody else's, that you should return it in a better condition than what you borrowed it. If it's a car, return it with a full tank of gas and clean. If we stay with somebody, make sure the house is cleaned up and that we don't leave our trash or leftovers around. If we borrowed a toy or, or something from a friend, we needed to take care of it because it wasn't ours. It was theirs. So let me go back to the question of the planet and the universe. Can we agree that they're God's? That the planet and the universe belong to God? If so, are we leaving it better than we were born into it? Are we taking care of it? I said a couple weeks back that I am not going to be the person telling you to buy an electric car, though honestly I think a Tesla would be amazing. But anyway, I'm not going to tell you that you need to buy an electric car. I'm not going to tell you that you need to start recycling or planting more trees or putting up solar panels or, or whatever else. I'm not going to do that. I am, though, going to ask you, are you doing your part to manage what God has given you to manage? And are you doing it well? The reality is this planet that we live on is the Lord's. He created all of it. It's his, as is every part of it. 
Have you heard of a guy by the name of Scott Harrison? Maybe, if not, you've heard about his charity that he started. It's called Charity Water. He writes in his book, Thirst, about Charity Water, that he started in response to something that he had witnessed firsthand, that he had seen for himself. He talks about the reality that, that there are over a million deaths each year that are due to unsafe drinking water. Now, I won't pretend that I understand why there is such a large portion of the world that is dealing with unsafe drinking water, but I will ask you the question, is it possible that this is the result of people not managing this resource that God has allowed us to be a part of? Did you know that there are people in different parts of the world, even different parts of the U.S., that monitor air quality like we monitor winter storms, thunderstorms, tornadoes, and things like that up here in South Dakota in the upper Midwest? You see, unfortunately, air pollution get, can get so bad at times that it's like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. I read one doctor's story about losing a little girl in an ER because she had an asthma attack that was brought on by poor air conditions, air, conditions, air quality where she was at. She was playing outside on a day that the, the air was not, the air quality was not good and had an asthma attack. Does that sound like a world that's being well-managed? To close out, before, before I do, I, I want to hit on one other thing. If I didn't, it would be a tragic oversight, and it's the area of people. You see, if you are a parent, God has entrusted you with the children to lead and raise well. If you are a teacher at any level, God has given you the responsibility of teaching well for his glory. If you are a leader, you need to realize that each one of these people was created by God and that they matter to him. They are not your pawns to do with what you want. They are lives that matter to God. And that's right. You matter to God. I matter to God. We matter very much to God. And in fact, in 2 Peter 3, we are told that there will be a day when this earth is no longer in existence. It will be destroyed because of judgment that God brings on it. It's his. He can do it. But that's not what I want to draw your attention to. I want to look at 2 Peter 3.9 that tells us the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's not slow in saying that he's going to bring judgment. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. God has promised that this world that we're in, this world that he created, this world that he is over, will be judged. And some in Peter's day when he wrote that were wondering why it hadn't happened yet. What was taking God so long? Peter's response is that God was being patient. People mattered deeply to God, and he doesn't want anyone to die without knowing him personally. It's his desire, according to Peter, that we all turn to him and from our sinful lives. We no longer are subject to keeping all of the rules and laws of people that David had to do back in his day. No, instead, we have forgiveness that's made available by God through Jesus. Forgiveness that says when we screw up like David screwed up, and when we do things that don't please God, there is forgiveness readily available. Because Jesus came, he lived a perfect life here on earth and took the penalty of sin on himself when he died on that cross so that we could be right with him. We simply need to accept that gift of forgiveness. And if you haven't already done that, would you do it today? You see, at some point, as Peter warned, there will be a judgment. 
Now, thankfully, there's hope in Jesus for forgiveness. There is a possibility that you and I can be right with God. And because of Jesus, we no longer need to go to some Ark of the Covenant to speak with God. Because of Jesus, we can go directly to him. We can go directly to God. Now, how amazing is that? I'm going to wrap up, but let me remind you, the idea that you own this world or the things in it, it's an illusion. Don't wait until one of your decisions brings tragedy, as in David's case, to be reminded that this world is the Lord's and everything in it. Not just most of the world, not just most of what is in it, all of it, it everything in it. So are you managing it well? Are you managing what God has given you to manage the way God would have you to? Are there things you need to reevaluate it in your own life when it comes to managing what God has entrusted you with. Let's pray. God in heaven, we're thankful for opportunities to learn from other people. We're thankful for the fact that you love us and created each of us. That we matter to you. We're so thankful for that. We're thankful for reminders like like. David shows us in his experiences that while our mistakes can, can bring hardship, our disobedience to you can bring challenge, that there's also a truth that says that when I draw close to you, when I follow you, when we follow God, and the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives as we draw close to you, God, that you bring blessing. We're told that you cause all things to work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose, to those who are drawing close to you. God, we believe that. And we're thankful for the opportunity to be close to you. We're thankful for your son Jesus dying to provide a way for us to be close with you, that we don't have to go to some object somewhere, but that we, are, we can reach out to you because of Jesus right where we're at. God, help us to manage what you have entrusted us with well. Please show me and show those joining us today how we can be better managers of what you have trusted us with. Remind us that this ownership idea, it's just an illusion. It's not really ours, it's yours. And help us to manage and use it for your honor and glory and to point people to you. that They would know you personally. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Rescue Church's past messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com.